please stand for the reading of God's Word. The reading today will be from the book of James, chapter 5, verses 13 through 18. James 5, 13 through 18. James is the brother of our Lord Jesus. <clears throat> and these are his concluding remarks. He says, Is any one of you in trouble? He should pray. Is anyone happy? Let him sing songs of praise. Is any one of you sick? He should call the elders of the church to pray over him and anoint him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise him up. If he has sinned, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. Elijah was a man just like us. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again, he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. This is the word of the Lord. Will you pray with me, please? Lord, we have this impulse to pray, but we have a companion impulse sometimes that makes us think that we're wasting our time, that we're doing something that feels a whole lot like nothing. And so I would like it on the heels of having been so encouraged myself by listening to your people pray and give credit to you for remarkable things that you've done. If after we leave today, we would be emboldened to participate in the childish-seeming but utterly critical activity called prayer. Will you visit us? Will you let people in these pews that you adore, these people that make me so happy to see, would you let them know that you like them and you would really like to hear from them and it makes you happy when they ask you for things and when they give you praise? So come be with us now, Jesus. We need you. In Jesus' name, amen. When you are asked to preach one time at a place, as I do here from time to time, it's a great honor, and it's also hard for me to decide what am I going to do in one sermon, and so I am a one-trick pony. When I have a default to go to, I'm going to preach about prayer. I like to preach about prayer because I am an inept buffoon and have prayed a lot. Not because I'm holy, but because I've been desperate. And so today we're going to talk about prayer, which you guys already know a lot about, I can tell. And here's the, the idea. We're going we're gonna to call this the childish but critical activity of asking. Prayer is the childish but critical activity of asking. The reason I call it childish is this. If you were at work this week on Tuesday afternoon and you had to leave work early, on Wednesday morning you came back to work and Betty, because Betty's always asking about these things, 
Betty says to you, why did you leave early yesterday? There would be some legitimate responses you could get. If you said, oh, I had to go to the dentist to get a crown replaced. I had to get a root canal. She would be so understanding, and then everybody in the office would be saying, yeah, I mean, one time I had a root canal, and I nearly died, and the, the dentist was sawing my jaw open with a hacksaw. It was awful because everybody would sympathize. That was a real thing for you to do. Or you could say, oh, my, my, mom, my wife's pregnant. We, we went to get the ultrasound to find out what the sex of the baby is. It's a girl. And everybody would say, oh, that's a real reason to leave work early. That's a real legitimate thing that grown-ups do. Or if you said, you know, uh, I'm buying a piece of rental property, and we, we had a closing on the property. So I had to leave a little early to do that. Oh, awesome, man. Awesome, woman. It's a great thing to do. Grown-ups make money. Grown-ups do legitimate things like commerce and babies and get their teeth fixed. But if you said to Betty, hey, I left work a little early because uh, I had to go meet with Jesus. I think everybody's eyes would fall to the floor real quick. Uh, what, 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 what? And if you didn't instantly melt like the witch in Wizard of Oz, you would at least feel a great deal of shame probably, and, or Betty would, and everybody would think you were a slacker. You were up to something that wasn't anything. That's why prayer is childish. Because grown-up people who are up to real things in the world don't think it's worthwhile. You almost never hear of somebody, even though all of us would take off work early to go watch our kid play soccer, because adults watch their kids play soccer. That's a real and legitimate use of time for a grown-up, but praying, uh, it's a little silly. I hope you can tell I'm being a little facetious, but I'm also telling you, I think, the way that we can tend to think about these things. If you said, you know, I haven't met my sales quota for the month. Business is kind of slow. I've noticed that there's a lack of morale in the workplace. I noticed that there's a whole lot of gossip and a lot of backbiting among us, and I just feel troubled, and I, I feel like I need to talk to God about that because our business is an influx of the heavens. There's too many, there's too many unemployed people around my life, and I thought, you know, I'm, in, I'm employed, but I'm going to employ myself for a moment asking God to give them jobs. There's too many sad people around me. I need to ask God for their trouble. There's too much trouble in my own life. It would feel really kind of silly. It would feel kind of childish if you said that. You would feel embarrassed because you think it's a childish thing to do. It wouldn't seem legitimate that you would do that during working hours. Now, after hours, who cares what you do? You can watch Netflix, put it on continuous play, or you could say a prayer. Eh, nobody cares about that. Those are free hours. They don't count. But James, like the rest of the Bible, really, like the Psalms, like Elijah here, like Peter, like Jesus, like Paul, has this unified voice with all the rest of the Bible writers that says, this childish activity that feels so childish is actually so utterly necessary to your life. If you're going to have any hope of being a Christian in the world, if you're going to have any hope of being the image bearer of God, 
being a human the way you're supposed to be a human, you're going to have to learn to do this critical activity, this utterly urgent activity called asking God for things. James says, is any one of you in trouble? Well, that's a pretty comprehensive request. The umbrella of trouble is over the head of everyone in this room in some respect, isn't it? Having what you don't want and wanting what you don't have. Doesn't everybody fall into that category to some respect? Some of the trouble's small, some of it's large. And happily on this sad planet, it can start out small in the morning and be large by the end of the day. So is any one of you in trouble? He should pray. That's what James says. He should participate in something so childish as praying. Or is anybody happy? Are you like my sons rejoicing that Tennessee's luck ran out yesterday in double overtime? Well, then praise God. Like a child, sing songs to God. Give them praise. Is anybody sick? Why not participate in something so childish as interrupting other people who are involved in real things also, interrupting their schedules, humbling yourself, which is what is required if you ask somebody to pray for you. Hey, do you mind interrupting your life for a moment for us to do something all together that feels a lot like nothing so that I can get well? Or letting yourself be imposed upon to stop what you're doing to go pray for somebody else. It's childish, but James thinks it's critical because, he says, the prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. He believes that prayer causes things. That's what's so necessary about it. He believes it's part of how God has set up the universe to let the future happen. If you think about what he's saying here, he, th- he actually thinks, James, the brother of our Lord Jesus, he's actually hung out with Jesus a good bit. He probably fought over who, who was sitting closest in the back seat, which line over which he couldn't pass. They sh- had to share a room. You can't come on this side. And James says things like, if you are sick and the elders come and pray for you, That prayer will cause sick people to get raised up. That prayer will cause something. If you've sinned and you feel guilty and you confess your sins to another and people are praying for you, that will cause God to forgive you. If you're in trouble, it will cause God to rescue you from that trouble. Jesus demonstrates this in his own life. You know that the night before he picks his disciples, he apparently spent the night praying. And I don't think he was on Monster.com. He didn't have any resume action to check out who would be most suitable for the task of carrying out and embodying the message of the invasion of the kingdom of the heavens on earth. He prayed. You can look at resumes if you're hiring people. That's fine. But he prayed. And then he found the right disciples. Those disciples, after his death, were huddled in a room in terror. They were up against forces as evil as ISIS, who thought that the best thing to do would be to destroy Jesus, and they thought they might be next. 
And they thought, you know what we ought to do? We ought, and their knocking knees helped them compel them. We ought to pray and pray and pray and pray. And so important did they think that this childish activity of prayer, that later on when poor Hebrew widows who weren't getting their Social Security checks, they didn't even have a fixed income to count on. They weren't getting food, and they knew God cares about widows. God cares about the downtrodden. And yet they said, it's so important for us to do this seemingly childish activity of telling people about the good news, not the good advice, the news of what has happened, that Christ has invaded the earth and offers new life to anybody who wants it, and ministry of prayer. We've got to give ourselves to prayer. We can't even fiddle with widows, but let's devote a class of people who will fiddle with widows, who will care for their needs. And yet here today, they participated in this activity that's childish but critical called prayer. And here we are 2,000 years later reading a book that was largely comprised of the words written by those scared dudes. Prayer is something. The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. It often feels childish, but it's utterly critical. It causes things. You should let that linger on your tongue for a minute like a lozenge to think about prayer actually causes things in your life. That's how God has set it up to work. C.S. Lewis, whom I quote ridiculously, nauseatingly much, because I've read a lot of him and he has taught me everything that I think. He has said, quoting another philosopher, that God has instituted prayer to give his creatures, us, the dignity of causality, which is a fancy way of saying God wants to let you in on the running of the universe. He thinks being the image of God, being his royal representative on the earth, at the BP station or at a law office, at a construction site or fixing toilets, whether you're raising money or studying algebra, he thinks that in all of those situations, you are his representative. And he has said, I want you to help me run the universe. That's what prayer does. You pray something today. We've done it this morning. We've prayed that some people might have a job. God has not seen to it yet that they have that job. We hope by next Thursday they will. We will have affected the future that God has not brought about yet pretty amazing a daughter who thinks she knows too much is that that isn't that the only kind <laughs> we all need an intervention in our adolescence the disease called adolescence we need god's intervention and we're praying that god would bring about a future where that intervention happens and it hasn't happened yet. God is letting us in on this privilege, like a father saying, yeah, sure, son, you can mow the yard. Even though you don't have the strength to pull it, you can walk behind me in the mower. You can sit in my lap on the riding mower. Yeah, sure, honey, you can help mommy cook supper. Even though you're too short to even reach the, the pan. 
Let's do this together. God wants to dignify us and say, you have important work to do. And some of that work happens by asking God for things. It's even more remarkable when you start thinking about, you mean to say he's letting people like us, people who don't know how to finish our Spanish homework, people who can't even remember where we put our keys, he's going to let us affect next Wednesday afternoon, next November the 3rd. He's going to let us have a say in that? Yes, somehow. I don't understand, but it's pretty amazing if you take the privilege seriously. And if you take that privilege seriously, you realize that God actually cares because he's placed you everywhere and he's urged you to pray about all sorts of things. James says, pray when you're in trouble, when you're happy, when you're sick. I don't know if there's a realm of human existence that isn't covered by those three categories. Trouble, happiness, or sickness. Every one of you is in one of those situations right now. And in all of them, you're called upon to run on God by conversing with him, which means that even the smallest things, even the smallest things can be prayed for. We sometimes think we have some need, and we think, uh, I don't want to ask God about this. Doesn't he have bigger fish to fry than this? I need a new car. My car's broken down, or... Oh, my kids don't have any friends, or I don't have any friends, or I don't know how to do this task that's been assigned to me at work. I'm not sure how I'm going to pay my bills. There are these things where we think, uh, I got this rheumatoid arthritis. I shouldn't pray about this because God's got so many things on his mind. There's terrorists in the world who are beheading Christians. There's, there's deep economic problems there's the great problem of donald trump on the earth wait what there is nothing but trouble and god has really huge problems in education and in human endeavor and every sort he doesn't have time for my little things but sometimes that actually is a function of us not very being very confident in him aaron Rodgers, one time he's a quarterback this isn't about football, though. But after a football game, he was lampooning people who give God credit for their performance in a football game. You know that kind of thing? I always do that. And he said, yeah, like God really cares what happens in a football game. And I think, you know, Aaron, you're a handsome guy, and you make a lot of money, and you're really good. But you haven't thought about this. Because if God doesn't care about what happens in the football game, how can you be sure he cares about what happens in anything? I think God does care what happens in the football game. I don't know what his intentions are about who wins and who loses and who gets to be the goat and who gets to be the hero. But I think God cares about all that stuff. Because if he cares about anything, he has to care about everything. He can't care about a sparrow or the number of hairs on your head or... I'm looking around, there are a few of you who don't have so many, but he even knows about those, you're in trouble. Just kidding. Come on, guys, come on. If he cares about anything, he has to care about everything. And so he invites you to ask childishly in this critical activity of praying about everything. Rosemary Miller, who some of you have heard of, she's the mother of Paul Miller, who wrote this book called A Praying Life, which is a great prayer book if you ever are looking for one. 
And she and her husband did so many great things on the earth, and they started these mission agencies. They went all around the world. Her husband was a seminary professor. They started all these churches. She spent time in the slums of Nairobi. She spent time in Western Europe being a missionary and evangelizing. And one time she was driving around in London with her grandkids. And somebody else was in the car with her, and she was trying to find a parking space because you've been in that spot, right? It's maddening. Where am I going to park? And so she prayed, Lord, help us to find a parking space. And someone said to her, Rosemary, are you serious? You're asking God to help you find a parking space? And she said, how else would you find a parking space? How else would you find a parking space? Now, if you only pray about parking spaces, you're a self-absorbed, narcissistic person. You need some spiritual growth in your life. But if you pray about parking spaces because you have learned to expect, like Rosemary had, like I hope many of you have, that God is intimately involved in everything, and his capacity is magnificent. You can't out-ask him. He doesn't get weary. He can hear your prayer and the prayer of some person in Tokyo this morning or night or whatever time it is there. He can hear all the prayers and sort them out wisely all at once for what is good and best for everyone. If you start to realize how God answers such huge things, you can start praying for little things. And in fact, if you're not much of a prayer, I'd urge you to pick out some prayer projects in your house, in your life with your kids or with your roommates or with your friends and say, Let's start praying about these things around us regularly and see what God does. Let's pray diligently for them. Let's pray expectantly for them. Say, God, you need to do this because this would be good for them. This would make your name really magnificent. This would embolden our faith. You need to do this, Lord, and we're in trouble, so help us. Participate in the childish activity of expecting God to do magnificent things and petty things like praying for parking places. If you get that in mind, you'll, you'll understand what Dallas Wilder was saying when he said that prayer is nothing more than talking to God about what we are doing together today. Let me say that again. Prayer is nothing more than talking to God about what we are doing together today. It's a great definition of being the image of God who've been put on earth to say this is what it's like when God is in your house in Trenton, in your house in Chattanooga, in your house on Lookout Mountain or Sand Mountain, this is what it's like when God is working at the bank, when God is working at the school, when God is coaching soccer. This is what it's like when God's at physics class, when he's on a job site. And we're saying, Lord, help me today in the trouble, in the happiness, in the sickness. Help me today to represent you. From the very beginning, humans have been called upon to represent God. The problem is they wanted to rule, but in their own name, not in his. I want to rule in my name and not in his. And as you start to realize, I get the privilege of walking through the earth today. It's very exciting. I have things entrusted to me. I have children entrusted to me, relationships, goods, jobs, abilities that God has entrusted me and said, Talk to me about how we're going to spend these things today. It seems to me that if you can work for a thing in your life, 
you can pray for a thing in your life. Those are the two ways that humans have been given to get things done. That God has dignified us by your work. If your green beans don't have salt on them, you can pray that God would put salt on them. Or you could grab the salt shaker and put some salt on there. You would have created by your work a situation that did not exist before. You would have created the future by putting salt on your green beans. Your work, your daily work is working with and for God. And your daily prayers are working with and for God. No matter whether those prayers are huge or whether they're small. And think of this. If anyone is in trouble, are you a parent? You're in trouble. Are you a student paying tuition? You're in trouble. Are you a grandparent with grandkids and kids? Double trouble. You think you, your burdens leave because your kids left the house? Heck no, they don't. The pains of childbirth endure until forever. You got tr- you got, does your business have trouble? Pray. There's nobody in here who's not in some kind of trouble or some kind of happiness or some kind of sickness that doesn't call for some kind of urgent, critical, childish activity called asking God to do something about it. I'm going to close with this. You got this troubling part at the end, I think. I think it's troubling. If, you, if you're taking the Bible seriously. Some people in our times, we don't take the Bible that seriously. And it happens to us sometimes. We're, we don't get troubled because we're just not taking it at a level of seriousness enough to even be troubled by it. He says, uh, if, if you're sick, call the elders of the church to pray over him and anoint him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise him up. If he's sinned, he will be forgiven. Now, the question is, really? Because we've prayed for people before and they didn't get raised up. How can this be true? Have you wondered that sometimes? How can this be true? You've known people that you've adored and you've loved and you've ached for and you've watched their body deteriorate. And the elders of the church may have prayed for them, which I know at Rock Creek we do this, and I bet these guys will do it too. If you need to be prayed for, call upon the elders of the church. This means land the plane. It doesn't mean be done. It means land the plane. It's always creative to know how I'm going to land it. I'm not a good lander. Thank you. Yeah, I appreciate the pity. The pity laughter. The pity nervous laughter. I have no idea what I was saying. I don't know. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Ask the elders. They'll pray for you. But here's the thing. We have this issue of sometimes we pray and pray and pray for things, and they don't seem to have moved God to act and raise up the sick person like this Bible verse seems to suggest it should. So why is that? Here's my first answer. And this is one of the best answers that Christians have to the problems that people bring up about Christianity. I don't know. I don't know. God's ways are not my ways. He's inscrutable. He's really smart. I'm not. I sometimes can't remember where my keys are. 
I sometimes forget to call somebody back. I don't, I know what I think is best, but God actually knows what's best. I don't know why sometimes the sick person isn't raised up. I don't know. Of course, this question isn't unique to prayer. This is the question that runs throughout Christianity. If this God you're talking about is such a lovely, tender shepherd who's so good, and if he's so strong, then why on earth do bad things happen? Why doesn't he stop them? What's that? Well, there you go. There you go. I think that's, you're a step ahead of me. That's great. Thank you. Thank you. We don't know all the reasons, but there are reasons we haven't thought of, like that were just shared. We don't know all the reasons, but what we do know is this. We know that Jesus is God who made parents, who invented them and breathed them into existence, and then subjected himself to them in the frailty of being an infant. He let teenage parents be in the position of having to decide when his diaper was wet and when his belly was empty. He subjected himself to that frailty. He who made the worlds, who had never gone without anything, put himself in the state of vulnerability where he couldn't control what was being done. He put himself helpless at the fate of parents. And then as he grew up, he put himself in a world where there were people with mental illness and people who hated him. There are people who were kind to him and people who, whose bodies were broken down. He ended his life with people who were so threatened by his goodness that they decided the best thing to do would be to kill him. He ended his life with an unanswered prayer. Lord, if there is any way for this cup to be removed from me, then take it away. Take it away. And for some reason, God said, no, I won't take it away. So Jesus died mocked, naked, penniless, alone, forsaken. And if that were the end of the story, then you've all been hoodwinked to be here this morning. You've all lost your minds to donate your Sunday morning to something like this. But this same Jesus got up, and he has promised, he has promised new life to everyone who believes in him. So here's the thing. There are unintended consequences and unintended intentions that God has that we don't know anything about. So why did, why did a, one of the elders of our church, a neighbor of these Dubles, Lynn Gilbert, why did she not get raised up a year ago? We anointed her with oil. We prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed for her. And her life was not elongated. And her cancer seemed to have won. But we also believe that she's now well. So is the prayer answered or not? And we also believe because of what Jesus did that one day, as surely more certain than whether your car is going to start, the ground where she lays will burst open and she will come forth with a new body on a new world where sorrows are no more. And at the same time, there are people like my neighbor, my other neighbor, Judge Hill, who three months ago, three years ago, was given a death sentence. In three months, you will die. 
Get your affairs in order. And that was three years ago, four years ago now. He was anointed with oil. He was prayed for by the elders, and his life was given back to him. And, and now, not too long ago, I heard him. Which is a constant sound I hear in my yard. I don't know what everybody's shooting, but I just know they only shoot things. <laughs> He's killing marauding squirrels. He, very much alive. The squirrels, not so much. And he's teaching me on Thursday mornings when we pray together how a man with faith approaches a Christ who does immeasurably more than we can ask or think. And I myself languished 12 years ago in a hospital for two months. My wife pregnant with our now 11-year-old son. We had a four-year-old at the time. Why did God raise me up and not others? I don't know. But emboldens me. It emboldens me to keep asking, as James said, to keep going after this childish but critical activity of prayer. Because God does stuff. And eventually, all the prayers will be answered yes. All the sickness prayers. And when they're answered yes, in this life, other people are emboldened. Other people are encouraged to keep praying. When we hear the story this morning about a boy, about a man, at a, I love the description. At a strange church in a strange man. Are there any other sorts? Who offered him a car for a dollar. Well, that emboldens you. Hey, does this guy have houses too? When you hear things like that, it emboldens you. Maybe God will answer. And you'll participate in childish things. And you know if you have kids, no one asks better than kids. Kids are inveterate askers of things. They ask for things that didn't even exist. They ask for things exponentially more quickly than you can even think. Can Michael come over? Can we have some ice cream? Can I get this new app? What app? The expression bill component shrine. I don't know. I, I guess. Are they going to be surveilling our house now? Is surveilling even a word? Can we go to the jump part? Is that a thing? Well, yes, it is a thing. It's actually an outreach of Erlanger Hospital while they had a banner year last year. Kids just ask and ask and ask and ask. You know why? One, they don't think there's such a thing as an inappropriate request, and they think you like them. And you do. Don't laugh. I mean, yeah, they think it because it's true, right? I like my kids almost all the time. The almost is important. But I like those suckers. And I want to hear from them. And I actually, they wear me down. I say yes to things I never thought I would say yes to. Because they asked. And sometimes I have to say no because it wouldn't be good. But man, I hope they keep asking. And kids say things to parents. They say say things without watchfulness. I have a beautiful niece. Senior in high school now, but a few years back we were on vacation or something. With all the cousins. And I bent over or something, got, so I don't know what happened. And she says to me, Uncle Gus, which is a whole other story why she calls me that. That is not my name. has nothing to do with my name. Uncle Gus, why is your belly so big? <laughs> and I said, because I, I eat little girls who ask stupid questions. <laughs> and she started crying. She'll never talk to me again. 
She did ask about the belly. I didn't. Resp I responded in some kind of. Ha, 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 and then I started weeping. <laughs> but when you're convinced that the person you talk to likes you, and that there's no danger, you can ask anything. You can say anything. And that's what James is saying. There isn't a condition in your life that you can't come to God about and say, Lord, why is this happening? Why is the evil so big? Why? What's going on? Why am I like I am? I don't like the way I am. And you can own it. And you can honestly give it your trouble, your sickness, your sin, your happiness. It's childish, but kids are the best models because they're not self-watchful and they trust that you like them and you should trust that Jesus likes you too because he really does. And when you believe that, you'll ask him things and as you ask him things, you'll come to believe that. That's what's so remarkable about it. In fact, any person, any person who will come to Jesus today and say, Jesus, I am a dingy-hearted rebel. I don't know which way's up sometimes, but I act like I do. Sometimes I pretend horrendously. Sometimes my heart is so ADD, I don't even think about you. Sometimes I want to put you in the trunk of my car and, and, and throw you off a cliff so that you're not interrupting my life. Ah, oh, but I don't like that. I need you to fix me. I need you to heal me. And we're told he'll clothe us in his righteousness so that even we, like Elijah, a powerful prayer from a righteous man, effective prayer that causes things can come from even childish people like us, dingy people like us, uncertain and unstable people like us, but with a very stable and certain and powerful Savior. If you call to him, if you trust him, you'll have his ear for all your life. And you'll have his presence for even longer than that. Amen.